Hello and welcome to Food Plus Freedom, a solution-based podcast and website for freedom-loving people just like you, where you get solutions about food, buying supplies, and finding freedom for your family without always being dependent on big government, big business, or big agriculture. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Plus, visit our website, foodplusfreedom.com, for more podcasts and articles. You'll find us on social media, Twitter and Truth Social, at Food Plus Freedom, Podbean, foodplusfreedom.podbean.com, and on Telegram, food underscore plus underscore freedom. Hello, I'm Janet Davis. Today is Tuesday, September 26, 2023, episode six, which is three parts of seven of mindset and knowledge. Today's, where does your food come from? Do you really know where your food comes from and how long it takes for it to get from conception to being dished upon your plate? Once you embrace the reality of how long it takes to create your food, you look at your food differently. How you grow, how you buy, how you eat, and so much more. Don't forget to wait until the end of the show for the tip of the day. On with the show. Where does your food come from? Think about it. When someone says, where does your food come from? What is the first thing that comes to your mind? For too many people in America and around the world, the answer is the grocery store. The farmer's market, that's okay. At least we're getting closer to the farm. And you may think, oh, no, no, people know that where their food comes from. They know that it's grown and and it's raised. No, they don't. I have a five-year-old grandson a number of years ago who, walking through my garden, I told him to pick a tomato, and he said, there are no tomatoes here, Grandma. I pointed to the bush and said, those are tomatoes. He says, no, they're not. I said, why not? And he said, because tomatoes come from the grocery store. I said, well, those are tomatoes, trust me. And he went over and he tried one, and then... Of course, he said the next thing, that doesn't taste like a tomato. And I said, why not? And he says, because it tastes good. So there's the other part of where does your food come from? The closer you are to your food source, the better it's going to taste, the more nutritious it's going to taste. So you might say, well, that's a five-year-old. Well, just recently, I was speaking with an 80-year-old lady And we were talking about food and where it came from. And we were talking about, very specifically, string beans. Now, her family had had a garden, but she had never gardened. And she had never gardened in over 30 years. She did not realize that a string bean could be grown on a vine. Now, I stop and pause on that because... She knew that string beans, what they look like, and you know, I said, well, they could be grown on bushes or vines. She was helping me in the garden, and she was truly, truly flabbergasted that it grew on a vine. How could it grow on a vine? And then I explained to her the next thing we were picking were dry beans, you know, kidney beans, and she looked like that five-year-old when she, and said, 
they don't grow on a vine. They come out of a can. So this mindset of knowing where our food comes from is not limited to age, knowledge. I mean, it is a kind of knowledge, but it is a place in society that you are at. If you have not been exposed to where food comes from, you have no clue. And this is where we need to change our mindset of where it comes from. Because if you know how long something really takes to be created before it goes onto your plate, you are going to plan your meals, your stocking, your food so much better and in more of a mindful way. Let's talk about animals. How long does it take for you to raise your animal? Now, we're just talking with that you have the breeders and you're going to start with breeding. Not that you have to go find the breeders and all that. I'll just give you some numbers so you can realize. Just for gestation, that means from when the time the animal gets bred till it delivers, as we call it, the animal offspring hits the ground. A cattle takes 283 days, which is about nine and a half months. A goat, 150 days, five months. A sheep, 144 to 151 days, about five months. Chicken takes 21 days to incubate. Quail, 18 days to incubate. Rabbits, about 31 days gestation. Pigs, 114 to 116 days gestation, which is, we always say, three months, three weeks, three days. That's just the amount of time it takes from when the animal is being created, not being grown out. So if you want to eat something, you have to think of all of these days. Let's go back to the cattle. You have about nine and a half months where... It's growing before it's born. And then if you grow as a grass-fed animal, which is what I advocate for, it's going to take you another approximately 30 months, 28 to 30 months, depending on what kind of grass you have, if you have baleage, how much pasture you have. If you're doing it on grain, I can't tell you how long they... It takes to grow them. I don't use grain. I've never used grain. A goat, again, we're all grass-based. So goats on grass, they take about five months. They can take longer. Once you get to about a year on both goats and sheep, they're not considered, they're considered mutton and goat, not kids. Rabbits, depends on the rabbit. They can take between... Eight weeks and 16 weeks. Chickens, I've seen a breast chicken be ready for butchering within about five months. I've seen other ones that have taken seven months to they get to the size that I really want them to be. Quail, our friends who raise quail say it takes about six weeks, but they're teeny tiny. Pigs, it depends on the breed. Like the American guinea hog takes 15 to 18 months and they're raised on pasture also with grain like a cow does with rotation. 
Tamworth took eight to nine months. Um, they did get feed. They did go through pastures. They did go through the barn to clean it up. Um, it just depends on the feed. So if you take all that time into consideration for your food, you might go, oh, wow, I am completely overwhelmed. I don't want you to think that. I want you to think, oh, wow, I need to plan what and how I'm going to eat. I like to eat meat and I need to plan not only for how long it's going to take me to raise it, or if I'm not raising it, how long it's going to take for somebody else to raise it so I can save enough money to buy that half a cow, buy that pig, buy those 12 chickens that have been raised for me. So instead of thinking, oh my gosh, that was such a long time for them to get my food, it was, it was raised right. It was raised as humanely as possible. It was raised with the best nutrient value you can get and you knew who raised it. Let's think about your produce, your fruits and your vegetables. Everything from avocados to potatoes to zucchini. Depending on what you're growing, the seed you're growing, and your climate is going to depend on how long it takes to grow. I'm very adamant that you stay away from genetically modified seeds and you try to always use save seeds, heirloom seeds, organic seeds, because then you're getting a true seed, a true plant that was created by God for man, not something created by man to mess up the whole food system. Then you also have your blueberries and apples and your trees. Some trees take five, six, seven years before they produce any fruit whatsoever. So why am I telling you all this? Once again, so you can prepare. When looking, you're looking at what you eat and what you want to store and what you want to buy, you need to think where your value is. For instance, if you're going to buy a cow and you're going to buy a half a cow and you know that you have approximately 30 months to have all the money ready that gives you time to have the money ready and to get it. You get to prepare. Now, let's say you decide you want to live on radishes. Well, you don't have to do quite as much planning because radishes take about three weeks. And if you want to only eat radishes, go for it. You'll constantly have food, but you're going to have to take a lot of time planting more seeds and making sure you have seeds. That's another thing with gardens and produce that are not on perennials. Very quickly, let me go over that. An annual plant means you have to replant it every year. It doesn't come back on its own. A perennial plant is a plant that comes back every single year. So you may have either wildcraft, which means stuff that's been growing wild in your area, or that you've purposefully planted that are perennials that you're going to get year after year after year, and you only have to plan for them once, and then maybe once again, if you didn't take care of it, 
or if something ate it, or if you had a really bad winter or a really bad summer. For instance, peppermint or any mint. Once you plant it, and make sure you plant it someplace where you don't care if it takes over everything or it's in a manageable area, like in a box, and you keep it in that box. But every year, that mint will come back. I personally love mint tea. I drink a lot of it all through the year. I raise it all of our mint in our garden. We just picked our fourth picking from it this year. I doubt we'll get a fifth, but if we do, I'll be very excited about it. That was planted two years ago. It's a kind of mint we liked. Friend had it. I asked for a clipping. We planted it, and that was it. I don't have to worry about planting that over and over and over again. The same thing with our blueberries. The same thing with our goji berries. Same thing with our elderberries. We've planted them. We take care of them, and they grow back. Our rhubarb is the same way. This year we got three cuttings of rhubarb, and so far it's all been very delicious. Other food that are annuals, meaning you have to plant a seed every year, or a seed has to be planted, meaning it's not on a runner, it's not on a bush, it's not on a tree. And the reason I verbalize it that way is because, let's take a potato, Technically, a potato is an annual vegetable. You take a potato that has eyes, you throw it in the dirt, you cover it up, you water it, it grows, you cover it up some more, and you have potatoes. Okay, there might be just a little bit more to it than that, and there's different ways to grow potatoes. Well, let's say I didn't pull all the potatoes out, or there were some runners, or there's some little baby potatoes, they're still going to grow back if they have the right environment for growing. This year, we had, and we call them volunteers because we didn't plant them, we had regular potato volunteers, we had tomato volunteers, we had winter squash volunteers, and we had some string bean volunteers. Now, we do not till. We do lift sometimes the soil up. We do add amendments to it. So for us to have volunteers, it's, it's, it's a normal thing. This year, we seem to have had a lot of volunteers that we are moving through the growing season. But those are called annuals because a seed or the tuber actually had to grow. So when you're talking about annuals, something that doesn't technically come back on its own every year, you have to know how long those take to grow. Like shallots can take 109 days. Onions can take 103 days. Again, depending on the variety. And please use heirloom varieties. Use varieties that have been growing over and over in your area. Lettuce took about 35 days. We had some bok choy that did 35 days, and then we let some grow to 65. Our kale starts growing about 65 days out. I could be a little off on that, and it grows all the way through the winter. We'll have kale through our first snowstorm, and if we hit cover it, we'll have it even longer. But as you can see, with some of the annual ones, you have to plan to grow them again 
when to start them so that you know when you're going to have them. Because just like with an animal, it has a start date and a done date. And if you need that food before then, you're having to go somewhere else. So in your mind, you have to think, how long is this going to take until I have food again? And if you're just new to prepping or homesteading or having food or food freedom, there's a period of time every year where you're going, "Uh uh-oh, I might not have enough food. But you'll get used to thinking, this is when we have a lull in our time and our food is coming. Or you start doing something that I call two for one. And that's where you pick different items that you're going to raise for two years, meaning having two years worth and you raise them every other year. So let's say a whole cow takes your family two years to eat. Instead of getting a half a cow each year, you get one cow and you have enough for two years. So then in the off year, you decide, oh, we want to have a pig that year. And it's a way so that you have more coming in and out and you don't always have to worry about, I need beef now because you have beef for two years. Well, now you have some pork and now you have some chicken or you have potatoes for two years because you've canned them and freeze dried them and dehydrated them. And then some of them are in the basement for six months that you're eating. So you have enough for that two years. So in the off year, you're growing sweet potatoes. So now you have sweet potatoes and regular potatoes, but you're only growing one at a time. I know. I'm just rambling on and on because I get very excited about food. I'm very food oriented. You'll find out. So now we've gone over the mindset and knowledge of where your food comes from. You knew where it came from before, but now that it's in your brain and you're thinking, hmm, not only do I know where it comes from, but I need to think a little bit more about it. I'm going to give you something to do. I want you to sit down And you can do this with your partner, your family, your pantry, and figure out what foods you do eat. Do you eat a lot of rice? Do you eat a lot of potatoes? Do you eat a lot of meat? Do you eat um, a lot of noodles? What kind of meat do you specifically eat? What kind of vegetables do you eat? What kind of vegetables have you never tried? A lot of times we get stuck in eating the exact same thing over and over again and don't even realize it. So once you figure out what you actually eat, you're going to take that and you're going to break it into two different areas. The stuff you're going to grow on your own and the stuff you're not going to grow on your own. Now, when you say you're going to grow on your own, it's something that's going to be easy for you to start growing. Easy for you, not easy for your neighbor, easy for you. If you are not going to grow anything, then it's all going to be on one list of I'm not going to grow anything, and that's okay too. You want to start looking for people who are going to grow your food who are decentralized, farmers markets, community supportive agriculture, CSAs, Um, homesteaders are selling off their extras. Go to some farmers markets and find people that are already selling this. Talk to your neighbor. You... wouldn't believe how many people grow gardens and they have extra and they just throw it out. You might be able to do a barter system where, you know, 
they're giving you all their extra green beans and you're washing their car, you know, or you're paying them five bucks, you know, whatever you want to barter for. So it works for, for both people, but you have to start looking at what is available right in your area, what you're willing to do, what you're willing to start. What I don't want you to do is to get frustrated by knowing what you eat and how long it takes to grow, you're giving yourself power. And that's what this is about. Power to feed ourselves without big business, big agriculture, and big government. Thank you for listening to Food Plus Freedom Solutions Podcast. You can email me at support at foodplusfreedom.com. And don't forget to visit our website, food plusfreedom.com and sign up for our free newsletter. I'm Janet Davis. Remember, whoever controls your food and supplies controls use. Until next time, grow food, buy local, and be free. Now for the tip of the day. Do your eggs float? I hope not. If you've had some eggs sitting around on your counter and it's been really, really warm, or you've gotten some from a friend or even the grocery store, but you've had them for quite a while, the best way to find out if your eggs are good or not is to float them or rather sink them. What you do is you fill up cold water into your sink or bowl. You set all the eggs in there. And you set it so that the water is over the eggs. If one part of the egg comes up, so it's standing, it means there's extra air in the top of it. It may or may not be good. If I have an egg that stands up, I usually, well, I feed it back out to the animals. If I have an egg that completely floats, it's definitely a bad egg. And it either gets fed out to the animals or into the compost. So the next time you have some older eggs or eggs you're not quite sure about, go ahead and float them or better yet, sink them. Until next time, be free and enjoy.